Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast, a Super Bowl 57 edition of the Adam Schefter Podcast. And this week, we will be joined by the man who once hired Andy Reid as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, later hired Howie Roseman as an administrator and an executive for the Philadelphia Eagles, the former Philadelphia Eagles president, Joe Banner, who in addition to hiring the two men whose teams will be facing off Sunday in Super Bowl 57, also once hired future head coaches, John Harbaugh, John Gruden, Sean McDermott, and Sean Payton. So Joe Banner has an eye for talent and shares some of the insights into what helped him and others make those hires for the Philadelphia Eagles. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know we're big fans of BetterHelp and all the ways it can help people with their mental health. And this year has gone quickly. And so I'd like you to think about something that you're proud of in 2024 so far. Think about what you would be proud of. What's something you still want to accomplish this year? And when life goes fast, it's important to take a moment to celebrate those wins. And therapy can help you take stock of your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months for the rest of the year so you can look back on the rest of the year the way that you have this past year to know that it went the way that you wanted. And therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I urge you, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So take a moment for you. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. A leaked tape that led to one of the biggest scandals in sports and changed the NBA forever. A podcast that unearthed it all. This is just like what 2014 was mm-hmm. like. Like, there's yeah. a lot of wild stuff happening. And now, a Hulu docudrama. TMZ was calling again and again and saying, we have a tape, do you want to comment? 30 for 30 Podcasts presents The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clips. We reshot the scene, and I could barely watch it because it was so uncomfortable. It was tough. A companion podcast to the FX drama inspired by the award-winning reporting of Ramona Shelburne, one of ESPN's top NBA reporters an L.A. native, and someone who has been following the story from the moment it broke. Join Ramona as she sits down with the cast and crew of the show in spoiler-filled conversations and behind-the-scenes reaction to each episode. Man, this is crazy, but these people live these lives every day. Donald Sterling, this was his lifestyle for a long time. Listen to The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clipped wherever you get your podcasts. We are coming off a weekend in which Las Vegas was featured prominently and will be featured prominently again. The Pro Bowl games, a skills competition, a flag football game was held in Las Vegas for the first time, and it seemed to go off relatively well. But the key here is that it will not be the last time that the NFL spends a lot of time in Las Vegas. The league is contracted to Las Vegas for three years for the Pro Bowl or Pro Bowl games. This was the second of three years which means the NFL world next year will be descending upon Las Vegas 
for whatever form of the Pro Bowl the league wants to follow through on, followed by Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. Now think about that for a moment. A city that the NFL once shunned. A city that the NFL urged others to avoid attending and holding fantasy football conventions in Las Vegas. Now is going to host, host Super Bowl 58. Can you imagine what that's going to be like in Las Vegas next year? First, the Pro Bowl games, Pro Bowl skills competition, followed by a week-long party in Las Vegas leading up to Super Bowl 58, which will be incredible. The party this week, the scene this week, is in Phoenix, Arizona, site of 50, site of Super Bowl 57. And Arizona is going to be quite busy this week. Earlier in the week, leading into the weekend, we had the Waste Management Open, the golf tournament, Super Bowl 57 also getting underway. And so Phoenix for this week becomes the sports mecca of the United States where there'll be golf and football and everybody's getting ready for the upcoming Super Bowl, which is a historic Super Bowl. There's already been a lot of conversation about Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts becoming the first black starting quarterback squaring off in Super Bowl history. Mahomes and Hurts are 51 years old together, and this will be the youngest matchup between starting quarterbacks in Super Bowl history. We also will get the game of brothers here. First time brothers have played against each other in the Super Bowl. Travis and Jason Kelsey, both first team all pros this season, both squaring off on Sunday. And Andy Reid will join Dan Reeves as the only head coach to coach for and against the same team in the Super Bowl. Dan Reeves coached for the Denver Broncos in some Super Bowl losses, then coached for the Atlanta Falcons against the Broncos. And now Andy Reid coached the Eagles. Now we'll go up against the Eagles. And it's interesting because Reid has the most wins in Eagles history and needs only one win to tie Hank Stram for the most wins by a head coach in Chiefs history. So clearly, Andy Reid has made his mark in Philadelphia and Kansas City. And a man who made his mark in Philadelphia is the former Philadelphia Eagles president, Joe Banner, who held that position from 2001 to 2012. During that time, he hired Andy Reid and hired him at a time when nobody thought to hire Andy Reid. He then went on to hire Howie Roseman. And now Joe Banner, who is one of the founding fathers of a website called 33rd Team at 33rdteam.com, has a chance to reflect on how he helped shape the matchup in Super Bowl 57. Joe Banner. Joe, you look good. Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) I never did and I never will, but thanks for saying it anyway. (laughs) Even when I was good. <laughs> I, I appreciate you taking some time. And I wanted to reach out because it's Super Bowl week. And you, as the former president of the Philadelphia Eagles from 2001 to 2012, made many hires, but two very significant hires. One being your head coach, Andy Reid. Another being an administrative and executive assistant, in Howie Roseman, and here we have two of your hires on opposite teams in the Super Bowl. Andy Reid is the head coach 
of the Kansas City Chiefs, Howie Roseman, as the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I would venture to say, as I've thought about this, and this is quite a claim in history, Joe, there can't be many people in history, if any, who have ever hired a head coach on one team in the Super Bowl and the general manager on the other team in the Super Bowl squaring up in that same Super Bowl. Have you thought about that at all and pondered that scenario at any time during the past week when we found out that the Chiefs and Eagles would be playing in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I have. It's it's neat. And they're good people and to have been this close to the trajectory of their careers. You know, the skepticism, both hires were welcomed <laughs> a lot of booze. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I mean, Andy Reid had never been a coordinator. and We right. were accused of hiring just because he probably cost less because he'd never been a coordinator, which we actually made him the highest paid first year head coach ever at that time. One million dollars a year, right? One million dollars a year. I don't remember the number, but it, it was very small compared to today. But it was actually the highest first time ever head coach in football. I mean, in the NFL, but uh, that didn't stop people from accusing us of having the wrong uh, motives, let's say. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I, read the, I read the Associated Press account this morning, and it said that you hired the quote-unquote unknown and inexperienced Andy <laughs> Reid. And I saw Bob Lamont, his agent, quoted the story saying it's a five-year deal. And though he declined to give specifics of the terms, it was thought to be $1 million a year, Joe. First of all, isn't that striking? I mean, that's where we're in the middle of coaching hires right now with new coaches getting six years deals at, at huge numbers. But uh, I mean, the description, that was actually a kind description of Andy compared to what we were getting like on talk radio in Philadelphia and stuff like that. I mean, it, it was such a good guy who turned out to be such a great coach. And before anybody knew him in Philadelphia, they were already in a position of figuring out what was wrong with him. What what did you see in Andy Reid back in January of 1999 to want to hire him as your head coach? Yeah, I like telling this story because it was a function of Jeff and I really not having any experience in the NFL that led us to Andy, ironically, because people think experience is so valuable. And sometimes it is, by the way. But um, we decided to do a study of every coach that had been to two Super Bowls and see if we could learn something from that to help us know what was the most important thing to look for in a coaching search. So it was all of the Gibbses and Parcells and Walsh's, Belichick, Holmgren's. I mean, it was all of those people. And we did this really in-depth study. The funny part was when it came to football, we found nothing in common, whether they offensive guys, defensive guys, young guys, old guys, blitzing guys, passing guys. That run, we couldn't find anything that was – what we would think of as the football part of the search that they had in common. But what was really interesting and almost accidentally stumbled into the fact that when you looked at them as people and what were their strengths and weaknesses, the number of things they had in common was kind of stunning. Now, some of them were very predictable. They were great leaders. We all know that you're not a great leader. You're not gonna be able to lead this group of men to Super Bowl or great success. But others weren't so obvious. They all had an attention to detail. They were so anal about every little thing that drove people around them absolutely crazy that they had an ability to evaluate other coaches and manage other coaches in a unique and very effective way. Again, different styles. Compare Parcells with like an Andy Reid. It's night and day how they manage their staffs. But the fact that they were able to pick good coaches and manage them effectively turned out to be something they all had in common. So there were literally eight things on our list. 
you know, those the couple I just gave you were the, the top of the list and the most important. So we started looking for somebody that had those qualities versus who'd been successful as an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, as we see happen so often. So naturally, we came up with a candidate who wasn't who everybody else was looking for. I mean, the team that he had worked for for eight years was looking for a head coach. They didn't even interview him. And they had a GM who went to the Hall of Fame. So it's not like they weren't really smart people. And nobody in the NFL knew Andy Reid better than Ron Wolf did. But he didn't even think at that time that he warranted an interview. So it was quite a projection. And Jeff and I literally sat there. I remember having a conversation about if the general manager of his own team doesn't even think he's worthy of an interview. And we've been in the league at that point, you know, a couple of years. Do we, are we really arrogant enough to think we know better than he does and we're actually hiring the right coach? And we just said, you know what? We started this with a process we believed in, and this is where it led us. We should trust it. And so we hired Andy Reid. And so who was the head coach that the Green Bay Packers hired at that time, Joe? Well, the, that's the real irony. They hired Ray Rhodes, who's the coach we fired to hire Andy Reid. I mean, we fired Ray Rhodes, and he became the Green Bay Packers coach. We hired Andy Reid. And Ray lasted one year in Green Bay. They had an eight and eight record, I believe. And Andy Reid did 14 years in Philadelphia, including five games, five championship game appearances. So I think we won that trade. Wow. <laughs> wow. We can say we beat we beat a general manager and went to the Hall of Fame on one of the most important decisions we both made. By the way, Ron has told people, I've never heard this directly, that it was, if not the biggest mistake he ever made in his career, it was one of the biggest mistakes not hiring Andy in that search. Wow. And why do you think it was that Andy flew right underneath his radar and not within his view? And you were able to see something that even his own general manager did not. Well, this is where the, the irony of inexperience can be that you're not restricted by the conventional wisdom or how things have always been done. So we approached looking for a coach differently than other people because, you know, we hadn't been kind of locked into this is the way you do it. So Ron's looking for somebody who had experience, somebody who'd been part of winning organizations, where he'd been in San Francisco with Bill Walsh when they won all those championships. He's, at that point, preferred somebody on defense. That sounds funny now, but at that time, that's what he preferred. Um, he preferred someone who he knew and knew the system and how he liked to do things. Very, very traditional criteria. And Ray Rhodes actually fills those criteria. There was just other things that were more important that he was missing. Andy Reid doesn't fill those criteria. Had no experience. Didn't have, had not even as a coordinator. Forget a head coach. We could go down the list. The traditional things that people were searching for at that time, Andy Reid did not have. But that's not what we were looking for. So we found him. When did you know that you had made the right decision? You and Jeffrey Lurie, the Eagles owner. When did you know that it was obvious to you? Well, we were confident we made the choice. But you're right. You you can't know until you're actually working together. And it was relatively early, and I don't even remember the particulars of it, but there was a moment where, you know how some people set up an explanation at least or an excuse if they fail. And I remember we had a situation where traditionally was the moment where somebody would put themselves in that position. So if, if it didn't work out, it wasn't their fault, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And Andy chose the opposite. He acted that if this didn't go right, it was all on him. And I remember thinking, wow, it has not even crossed his mind that he's not going to be successful. It's not like a small worry. It's not even crossed his mind. He's absolutely 100% purely mm -hmm. every inch of his body, every spout in his brain is absolutely positive he's going to be successful. 
And that was the moment for me. I went from believing we'd done the right thing to feeling like I knew we'd done the right thing. And if you watch Andy to this day, he always accepts responsibility, even privately. He always looks at himself first as he's looking at what he could have done differently or how an outcome could have been changed. Now, he can go beyond that, but he always starts with himself. And I think that's just an incredible quality and not enough people have it. Now, were you still the president of the Eagles when the Eagles moved on from Andy? And I left the uh, – we had an 8-8 eight and eight year. Four and eight started and won the last four games at eight, eight and eight. I left at the end of that year. Andy stayed one more year. I don't remember. I think they won four or five games, but it was a tough year. And then they decided, you know, that it was probably better to to, uh, to move on. I'm not sure why they reached that point, really. I mean, it was it was moving in that direction when I left, to be completely honest. But, you know, Andy took a breather of five minutes when most of us thought he should take like a year off. And here we are, and he's had unbelievable success. And, of course, he's got Mahomes, but he's the reason, or at least part of the reason, or he's the final say on the fact that they end up with Mahomes. And, you know, that was a brilliant move that he's going to be rewarded for for a decade. So congratulations to him. Well, I want to ask you one thing there. You mentioned that Andy was unemployed for five minutes from the time that the Philadelphia Eagles moved on from him. I do believe at that time you thought there was a really good chance that Andy Reid was going to wind up with the Arizona Cardinals. That's right. right? Actually, yes. I remember us having a conversation and giving you that very bad piece of information. But yes. So so what what happened there, Joe? Because you, you thought he was taking over as the Arizona Cardinals head coach. What yeah. did they not do? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, Andy's criteria was kind of simple. He wanted to go to whichever place he thought he could turn around the quickest. And uh, he felt good about both ownerships. You know, others may have different, but he felt good about both ownerships. And, uh, you know, our conversations and other people that were talking to him that I was talking to, you know, I was with Mike Holmgren in Cleveland at the moment this was all going on. And, um, you know, Andy felt like the, the, at least we strongly believed from very good sources, including very direct sources that he thought that Arizona was the team that he could turn around quickly and that both teams, Arizona, Kansas City, wanted him and that was where he was going to go. By the way, his wife has family connections to Arizona. So there were a number of reasons that Arizona kind of lined up. And I can't tell you to this day exactly what happened, whether I was just wrong or something happened that changed it. But of course, he ended up in Kansas City. <laughs> that was amazing. I remember that day hearing from you and others that he was – going to wind up as the Cardinals head coach, and then he didn't. Well, I'm glad you also heard from others because I felt guilty to this day <laughs> that I told you I believed he was going to Arizona. So <laughs> that's we, we, we all live and learn from that, right? I learned from that. Maybe it's not as wise to be entering into the play-by-play -play of head coaching searches when they are moving targets and they change by the moment. You live and you learn these things, yeah. right? That's a good point. They certainly are that. They, they certainly are that. Now, you also hired, back in 2000, I believe, a young man by the name of Howard Roseman, Howie Roseman, who now is the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles. What did you see back then in Howie Roseman that led you to hire him as a part of the Eagles organization? Yeah, so... Howie was the uh, most conspicuous person trying to get a job in the NFL I have ever come across. He was literally writing me and others a letter every single day. I mean, literally every day you'd get your Howie Roseman letter and was talking about, you know, what 
he believed about himself and his determination to be a general manager someday and his relentlessness about it. Um, I actually was talking to Mike Tannenbaum one day and somehow it came up that he was also getting letters from Howie Roseman every day and it became kind of a joke between us. And uh, Mike had the courage to meet him for lunch. I was afraid to. I thought, I don't know whether he's intense, passionate, and driven or crazy. And I'm not taking a chance. In fact, when Mike met him, I made the joke, make sure you meet him in a public place. Um, but Mike came back and he said, no, he's a normal guy and he's very driven. And, you know, he doesn't fit my opening right now, but you should keep him in mind. And, you know, sure enough, I had an opening not that long down the road. It was really to assist me in doing research and learning how to negotiate contracts and that kind of stuff. And we took the job and had to share the edge of a desk with my executive assistant, have a space to sit, didn't even have his own phone and cell phones weren't as plentiful yeah. as they are today. And uh, literally they shared a desk. And um, if I had a picture of it, you'd really laugh to think that he's general manager as successful he is and his team's playing and have a chance to win a second Super Bowl in five years. But uh, what I saw was when I finally spent some time with him, um, you know, it's funny to say it this way, but I saw myself a little bit, a very non-traditional background for somebody to get a chance in the NFL, very driven, hardworking, you know, a smart guy. Um, and I certainly felt he could do the job I wanted very, very well. But I was also hoping to hire somebody that had a chance to be developed and potentially be a GM down the road. I was kind of tired of hiring or at least evaluating people that you can't really know that well when they work for somebody else. You can do all the research you want. You can spend three, five, six hours interviewing them. You can do that twice. You're still making a guess. So I felt like if we get at that point, we could develop our own. We take the risk out of the hiring of a general manager. So I wanted to hire somebody that I thought had the potential and drive to do that, even though the position I was hiring for at that moment was, you know, much lower level than that, obviously. So those those were the qualities. So I thought that there was the developability. <laughs> of him based on you know his drive his intelligence and you know my willingness to take the time and i felt others in the building would join in once they got to know him in teaching him what he didn't know because at that point he'd literally done nothing in football in fact he'd never had a job he graduated law wow. school hadn't even passed the bar so this was really his first job you know i don't know if he had like a summer job as a kid but I mean, his first real job after he graduated from from law school so it was a significant projection, but I felt like he had the skills I was looking for, and he desperately wanted to be developed. And I thought we had the people, between myself and some other people in that front office, that could help him develop. So, you know, here we are today. I think he's taken what we did and evolved, but I think he'd tell you the foundation of what he does and what he learned is back from those early days when he joined us in around 2000. And when did you know with Howie that he had a real chance to be what he has become now, which is one of the top executives, I would say, in all sports. Yeah. So the answer to that was after we started watching film together. Because it's the, the job of being a general manager is so different than what I hired him to do initially. So he confirmed the smartness and the hardworking and the drive while he was doing that. But there's a difference to kind of having an eye and an instinct and and we wanted somebody that had guts. So they weren't going to be afraid to make a bold move. They weren't going to be afraid to make a mistake. If you look back to even Howie's early days, the Eagles were making those kind of moves. We wanted that to be our personality and our culture. And you can see he's done that and more. 
as he's evolved into you know who he's going to be. But he certainly maintained you know that kind of mindset about things. So when we started watching tape together, and I felt like you know what there is a real instinct here. There is you know an ability to kind of I call it see what's happening versus see what you expect it to happen. That's how I used to talk to him about it and others because scouts you know they they hear about a player then they watch the tape. For me, there were too many times where they saw what they were told to expect to see. So we get groupthink when that happens versus somebody who can actually see what's happening and won't be influenced by others. They're going to really see what they see. And then you have to have real conviction about it. You can't be mamby-pamby about your opinions. Now, sometimes mm. that makes it a little bit difficult to deal with, but that's actually a major strength if you're running an NFL team. You know, these are all type A people. They're all very driven. They're all very self-confident. If you are not that, you're going to get pushed back down. So you've got to have those strengths. That has to be a part of who you are. And as we were working through the cap years of Howie into the tape watching and the more of the football stuff, um, you could see that even though he had this background that wasn't the traditional expected background, he wasn't backing down to anybody. He wasn't afraid of anybody. He was as confident in his opinion as anybody else was. And frankly, he was getting it right more often than the other people that had these kind of traditional backgrounds. So he'd been there a while. I'm going to say at least a good three or four years, unlike Andy, who maybe it was a month or two uh, before. Not that he was a valuable asset, and I was glad we hired him, but that he truly had the a potential to be a top-tier GM in the NFL and take on for a team that could do what he's doing. You know, it's interesting. Andy essentially got run out of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. let go. Howie got run out of Philadelphia, but stayed in Philadelphia. Andy revived himself in Kansas City as one of the best coaches of all time. And Howie revived himself in Philadelphia after Chip Kelly left. And he was brought back from the dead and an exiled desk in the corner of the office (laughs) to become one of the top executives in sports. What does it say about both of these individuals that they found their way back to the top? You know, well, remember, we were talking about both people. We talked about people that were driven, self-confident, not intimidated by things that were going on around them or other people, you know, a, a belief in themselves and, and what they believed in. They didn't just believe in themselves. They believed in, they had a clear vision of what success looked like, both for themselves and the organization they're working for. So most of would have been knocked down and at least had some period of doubt. I don't think Andy had a minute of doubt. I think how we went through a period of introspection and self-evaluation and opened his mind to learn from people in addition to what he already instinctively knew. Um, so they had different paths of recovery, yeah. but they didn't include doubting themselves. They included an objectivity about what can I learn from this painful, difficult experience. But, they weren't ever at the point where they were like not sure they could do the job. They just yeah. needed to convince others they could do the job. You know, it's funny if you think about it. Jeff Lurie fired Howie effectively. And Andy. Right. <laughs> luckily for him, he got Howie back. And they've managed to find a couple of other coaches, which he gets credit for, um, that have been good enough to take them, and in one case win a Super Bowl, the other case we'll see, but at least got them to the Super Bowl in his second year. So on one hand, Jeff Lurie, you know, in one case kind of threw me, but hired Howie and Andy, turned out to be great hires. On the other hand, fired Howie and Andy, 
Andy got another offer, so he was gone, never to come back. Howie, think about this, 31 other teams in the NFL could have hired him just for making a phone call. And not one team called. I mean, think about that when you think about like the NFL and winning and losing and what leads to it and who's smart and who isn't. 31 teams, all they had to do was make a phone call. And as you say, certainly, you know, one of the top couple of GMs in sports, certainly in the cup double, maybe even the top GM in football, all they had to do was make a phone call. He would have been there. You know, he desperately wanted to get back in that seat and have the chance to do what he's doing now. And as I say, he never doubted himself through that period. Um, and yet, you know, Jeff has rebounded with, you know, second chance to win a Super Bowl in five years. Yet he actually let Andy, who I agree is one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game, and Howie has done an unbelievable job as a GM here. He actually fired both of those people too. He hired them, by the way, so it's not all negative. He hired them and he fired them. And here we are. And I think it also says something about the cyclical nature of careers, maybe in life and in football, right? Guys are up and then they're down yeah. and they come back up and sometimes they go back down. But good people do good things and good work over time and inevitably have more positive results than negative ones. Thus, we see Andy become the great coach that he is and how he become the great GM that he is. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I say, and it helps explain this a little bit, the whole trajectory. Yeah. Uh, and this sounds harsh, but if I explain it a little bit, I don't think people think it's harsh. When I interview people, I put them in two categories, winners and losers. That's the part that sounds harsh. But let me define it so it doesn't sound yeah. quite harsh. When I'm interviewing and hiring, a winner is somebody who faces obstacles and finds ways to overcome them. Because... I don't know anybody that hasn't faced major obstacles in life and in their career. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you got to. I don't care how much money you're making. You have faced major challenges that could have stopped you. So for me, a winner is a person that overcomes those challenges because it's a for granted they're coming. Wow. A loser, which sounds very harsh. I'm not talking like they're a loser in life or anything. But in this category, is somebody who gets stopped by obstacles. So my theory was put a group of people together who are smart and hardworking and consistently overcome obstacles, and you'll be successful. So I can't think of two people I hired that reflect that better, and you're talking about it in terms of the, how they came back, because they're winners. So what winners do is they overcome obstacles. Now, you don't get a bigger obstacle than getting fired, and in Howie's case, you know, relegated to the other end of the building. Andy obviously faced some personal tragedy as well as getting, you know, fired from a job that most people would be stopped dead in their tracks by that kind of a period of life. Andy, you're talking. Andy, yeah. Roger, yeah. Andy, Andy was not stopped by that. So the quality that I looked for in general in hiring that both of those people had, I think is also what allowed them to come back from where they were when many others in that situation haven't been able to. Some haven't even wanted to. Uh, you know, I could have seen Andy just deciding he wanted to go do something else for the rest of his life after he left Philadelphia. But he loved what he did couldn't think of anything that he'd love to do more, frankly, wanted to prove that he could do what he's done since. And so he had a huge obstacle. And guess what? He overcame it. Same with Howie. He was doubted because he didn't have the traditional NFL background. He was actually relegated to sort of unemployment by the guy that knew him better than anybody else in all of football besides me. And he did not get stopped by that. You bring up relegated, he, and not only was he relegated to the other side of the building, he was reviled in Philly. And he yeah. was reviled in Philly 
for quite a long time, maybe up until this year when the yes. team turned it around and yes. bounced back and became the NFC champions. It's not many months. It's, it's one hand worth of months, which we could go back and see the extent to which Howie was getting just destroyed publicly. And too many people were believing it, even though they could see with their own eyes that, yeah, he made mistakes. The best GMs in the league are right 50% of the time. So, of course, if you want to focus on the times that somebody makes a mistake, you can look the, make the best guy, the most successful person look bad if you focus on the mistakes they made. And I don't care who you are, you're making them. But they were kind of ignoring all the things on the other side of the equation that he was doing that should have told them, wait a second, this is just unfair criticism. At a minimum, it's over-the-top criticism. But in fact, it's actually unfair criticism. But there were way too many people kind of accepting the criticism. And you're right, it literally until the last few months before that switch kind of flipped and people, not just in Philadelphia, which are harsh critics, but in the league, started going, wait a second, I think we've been underestimating this guy. <laughs> and now it feels to me, and hopefully it stays that way, as if that switch did flip and he will never be perceived that way again. So I mean, that would be what's right. Hopefully that's what happens, <laughs> but we'll see. So what will Sunday be like for you as you watch the two men that you hired on opposite ends with opposite, opposite organizations squaring off against one another? Well, it will be exciting. Uh, it will be uncomfortable because I don't even know who to root for. <laughs> uh, you know, one, as you know, once you're not in the league anymore, you root for your friends. You root for, you root for like. people. You root for people. You know what? I would say in a situation like this, Joe, you'll be happy for the friend of yours who wins and you'll be disappointed and sad for the friend of yours who doesn't. Right. So I'm feeling like I can't lose and I can't win. So I'm just going to watch <laughs> the game and try to enjoy it because I'm going to feel really happy for one group and really get upset for one group. Uh, because, you know, getting to the Super Bowl is great, but I'm telling you, the team that loses, their hearts are broken. They're not sitting there going, oh, my God, look, we made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Their hearts are broken. Now they'll repair, and these people all get back on track and do great things going forward again. But when that game ends, if you lose, you're not sitting there with any satisfaction at all. You're just sitting there with a broken heart. So I'll feel that for those people. At the same time, hopefully I'll feel the joy uh, for the people that, that won. And by the way, these teams are built that they both have a chance to be here again and relatively soon. And, uh, you know, I said the other day in an interview on radio that they were like, oh, you can, can you believe the two guys that you hired are playing against each other? I said, by the way, I don't think it's going to be the only time they play against each other in a Super Bowl. These teams both have a good enough chance to be back that if we saw a rematch somewhere, it could be two years, five years from now. But I expect both of the people that are running those teams or the key executives in those teams to still be there. And if they appeared in the Super Bowl against each other again, it wouldn't surprise me at all. That's the way they've built it. Uh, before I let you go, with all the success you've had in the football world, in the business world, can you tell people a little bit about what you're doing today with 33rd Team and your role there and what it is? No, I appreciate your asking. You know, myself and Mike Tannenbaum, and we've brought some other people in since, uh, Tony Petiti, who's a key partner of ours now, um, we created a, a website called the 33rd team and it was really a very simple concept um we have all these coaches players former gms many of whom are sitting at home or doing work but have available time and they love analyzing and watching football so what if we created a site where instead of 
sports reporters and other people, no degradation to them, but why not have former head coaches like Pagano's and Marty Morningwigs and even Bill Cowers and Bill Parcells to give a perspective from, you know, their experiences all the way through to current players. And what if they became the analysts on a website? I mean, wouldn't that be more interesting and informative to fans who love the game? And uh, so we created that. And uh, so far, it's been tremendous fun, as well as something that the public has really embraced. And, you know, we have some great people over there that I, I mentioned a couple of names of. But if you go there, virtually every single piece of content that you'll see, and there are videos there as well as written stories, will be from somebody that you know and you respect and whose perspective you'll find very interesting. And by the way, once upon a time, they actually sat in the seat and made the decision. So you're getting a perspective. You've never actually really got a truthful perspective because coaches, what they say when they're talking to the media is what they want you to hear, not necessarily what they're thinking. So these are people that haven't been in the game for three, five, 10 years. They can be very direct. They can be very open. You know, they're respectful, but they also were comfortable being very complimentary or sometimes being critical. If that's what's warranted. So Hopefully people check it out. We've had a lot of fun doing it. And it seems like the public is finding it a very interesting way to see the game and learn more about it. That's 33rdteam.com. That's where they can find it. That's it. You got it. Hopefully, hopefully we get a few people, few more people over there. I promise they'll enjoy it. Hey Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you very much. Good luck this week with everything. And we'll be in touch soon. My pleasure. Always Adam. Love being with you. Take it easy. Love being with you. Thank you, Joe. Really interesting. To hear Joe Banner talk about the mindset that went into some of these hires that shaped these franchises and some of the philosophies that he used in trying to identify future head coaches, executives, and people who could help the Philadelphia organization. Joe Banner did a great job. I and mean, that is some list of people that he has hired. When you look at his role, again, John Harbaugh, John Gruden, Sean McDermott, Sean Payton, Andy Reid. Howie Roseman, he also collaborated on the hires of Brad Childress, Matt Nagy, Doug Peterson, Steve Spagnola, Marty Morningwig, Pat Shermer, and hired other GMs like Brett Veach, who's also involved in this game. So who's had a bigger influence on this game right now than Joe Banner, and we thank him for his time. All right, we are taping this very early, Monday morning in Phoenix, and we are getting ready opening night, the opening night ceremonies. Now, this used to be media night, and now it's opening night. And I would say that I know the difference between the two, but I don't because I have not attended a media night in a very long time. But tonight, I am going to the opening night festivities, whatever they are, with my daughter, Dylan, who is actually working the event for Nickelodeon. She flew out to Phoenix yesterday, accompanied by my mother while I was at the Pro Bowl skills competition. And we will be going tonight to experience the start, unofficial start of Super Bowl 57. And as I said in this podcast before, when I went with my daughter to the Christmas Day game in Los Angeles between the Broncos and the Rams that she did the sideline reporting for, it used to be that I took her to work with me. Now she takes me to work with her. And tonight she's taking me to work with her to interview some of these players attend the opening night, and again, I've never really cared much about going to the opening night festivities. Tonight is different, and tonight I do. It is the start of what should be a 
fun, festive, and exciting week in Arizona leading up to Super Bowl 57, which should be a great matchup. Now, I was in Las Vegas. I mentioned that this weekend. I happened to be out with a friend on Saturday night who had a guy who apparently is a big gambler. And we got to talking about this upcoming game, Super Bowl 57. And he was telling me how everybody, everybody is betting the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's going all in on the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, again, one opinion of one man who I just met that night have no history. But listening to him that night was very interesting. Because he was talking about how everybody is all in on the Eagles, how the line initially opened at even, went up to the Eagles as two-point favorites. I'm not sure where it is today. Haven't checked. But this guy, gambler that he is, was convinced that the Chiefs, in his words, were easy money. Well, we're going to find that on Sunday when we get to tune in in what's one of the great television spectacles of the year. This year it's on Fox. Love the pregame ceremonies. Love that moment on the field when they have the kickoff. And, well, it used to be that flashbulbs exploded in the stadium, but now that everybody's got iPhones, Maybe there are no more flashbulbs going off at the opening kick the way it used to be for many Super Bowls past. Either way, it should be a fantastic matchup. We look forward to seeing that. And we once again want to thank Joe Banner, head of 33rdteam.com, for his time and insights today on his hiring of Andy Reid and Howie Roseman. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell and Sarah Abbott. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. And be sure to tune in next week as we have a special episode brought to you by Granger. Hope everybody enjoys Super Bowl 57. We'll be back in this spot next week with more interviews, insight, and information. And until then, have a great week. Be well and stay safe.